And welcome everyone to the Go Live Gaming Podcast on the 9th of... Are we already in August? I feel like I would do, do this every time. It doesn't feel like we're in August, but <laughs> apparently we're in August, 9th of August. Uh, I am Saj, also known as Christian, and I'm your usual host, main host on this channel. Or, well, ma- yeah, maybe on the channel as well, but on the show, that was, was po- I supposed to, was supposed to say. And we also have uh, James, also known as Drainus, with us today. Hello, everybody. Hello. How's the heat treat, treating you? It's, has it calmed down? And It has. In, in the fact, great actually, British... in the last sort of 10 minutes, it has bucketed it down with rain. I'm just looking out the window and I can see many puddles and we haven't seen any puddles for like the last six months. It's been incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually when it's summer, at least here in Sweden, we're like, oh, we, we want the heat. It's always raining. Such poor weather, but now it's like, please rain, we're dying over here, we're literally drying, <laughs> drying out thanks to the heat. So yeah, uh, yeah. every time. But but we always we're, like every time it's been raining now. There's been thunderstorms as well. So, but I guess that's what you what you gotta have to deal with with the heat and all what, whatnot. We're getting all the extremes of weather. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah. Actually, it's actually the, really getting all the extremes of weather. It's it's quite disconcerting. Yeah. On level. <laughs> Global warming, I say. I don't know. Yes. Yes, very much so. Unless, of course, you're the president of the United States, at which point... It's, That's true. It's... I mean, we all know that global warming is just a conspiracy theory on on discarding mm-hmm. whatever scientists say. I also scientists know that my back say. garden has been turned into a desert. <laughs> yeah, I uh, <laughs> just w- one more side note. I was actually watching the news, the weather, and they were showing this before and um, after pictures on of Europe. And mm-hmm. before this heat stroke or heat wave, the uh, entire uh, Europe um, aerial view or satellite view was green. Uh, and after this heat war, during the heat war, Almost the entire uh, EU had turned brown, so that's, that's just I, I, that was that that was just such a clear picture of what everyone is struggling yeah. with right now. We are now a continent of scrubland, and yeah. dry grass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we usually talk about uh, Anthem, Bioware, and EA, and we're going to talk about Bioware and uh, Anthem. Uh, I guess. Uh, mainly focus on Bioware this time around. Uh, and we're currently live on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Mixer. So if you don't have time, and if you don't have time to stay with us the entire show, it's going to be uploaded to YouTube straight off of this. Or you, I guess you're going to have to wait like half an hour or whatever for it to render and whatnot. But I feel like that is something that you will be able to survive, my dear. Oh, the Listener, impatience viewer. of youth. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> And, of course, if you want to listen to the audio version while you're doing other stuff, like dying in the heat, um, if you're still still having issues with that, uh, then you will be able to listen to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes or your favorite podcast app of choice or on Stitcher. I've confirmed that we're on Stitcher as well. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Also, if you're being stitched up by Stitcher, yeah, I, I, I agreed. Um, 
Also, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a email at feedback at gunsvantham.com. Always fun to get emails from people because it takes a little bit more effort than writing a comment. So, what we're going to talk about today is a couple of things. Uh, let's see if I have my where I have my links. So, um, there was a new blog post by Casey Hudson talking about some stuff. So, we're going to talk about that. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. there was a um, interview with James Olin of Bioware fame who has recently left the studio to chase other projects and other mm-hmm. stuff. And we're going to talk about that because he, he he seems quite genuine in the interview and and why he left and maybe why I'm getting hints towards why others are leaving Bioware as well. They We've seen a couple of Bioware veterans or people that have worked for the studio or been with the studio since the early days for like 15 to almost Mm. 20 years, the the first titles. And um, those people are steadily, or some of them are steadily going elsewhere when it comes to professional pursuits. So It certainly seems to be something that's been highlighted recently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, why this is something that people are talking about a lot is that, yeah, on paper it doesn't look good that a lot of people are, or a lot of developers are leaving uh, before Anthem is even launched. It's something that puts up a warning sign for a lot of people, and I'm I'm totally, I totally understand that. Uh, But, I don't know. We'll just have to see if uh, if there might be a reason for that or like they're obviously not saying like uh, yeah this game isn't for me so I'm leaving they're obviously giving you other reasons uh, because I don't think they can, can say that because that, yeah, would, that, that would sort of be sort a of my own thoughts on it but we'll, I'll leave them until we actually get into the meat of it but um, yeah I mean it would this... be a PR nightmare if they'd like straight up said <laughs> I don't like Bioware anymore I don't want to work there anymore Anthem is going to be Crap. I mean, they they wouldn't work Crap's in the industry. The yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first off, no, just everyone who's left is tied toe to the company line so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I guess you have to take all of those interviews with a grain of salt. But there's still some genuine comments there that that you can take a lot from. Uh, one thing that we can just address before going forward uh, that is regarding EA and also Bioware, since a lot of Bioware titles are under the brand of EA, and that is that EA quietly just killed their free games program. So this is something that they have had for a couple of years now uh, on Origin, uh, not only on Origin Access, but this was also a feature for Origin Access um, customers is that you got old games for free every now and again. So there was a lot of cool games on that um, free, not subscription. You actually had to uh, go on to Origin and download the game, and then you had it for free forever. But if you missed that window, then you wouldn't get the game for free. And I think like Mass Effect 2 has been on there. Uh, I know Peggle is one uh, quite fun little game. Uh, and a lot of like uh, uh, 
Plants vs. Zombies, for, for, for another example. Dungeon Keeper has mm-hmm. been on there. Theme Hospital has been on there. So there's oh, been a... Theme Hospital. Yeah, so there's been what a lot of, lot of great games uh, going through this free program. And uh, with the launch of their premiere program, where, which they just released, uh, the Origin Access page has actually just b- re- replaced the free program page uh, on their website. So that just disappeared quietly, and uh, they uh, made a comment that, yeah, well, uh, this is basically just just not happening anymore. When they got, I think it was, I'm not entirely sure which new site it was that reached out to them, but yeah, they weren't too too interested to actually address the issue. They was like, it's an outdated program. It's not giving us too much anymore, basically. So, and yeah, well, when they're moving yeah, I, towards these uh, subscription-based services where you get a lot of games for free or with the service, I guess it makes <laughs> sense to just not have right. like five, six different systems. Uh, two is easier to keep track track of, I guess. Yes, and it also it does make them easier to keep track of when you're charging people for their use. Um, so, so yeah, so this uh, the CA Origin uh, access method it was essentially the same thing as Xbox Gold um, yeah. that, that they provided. It gives you the free games, and there there were several discrepancies regarding how long the games were available for. Yeah. Um, there were some games which are quite small and not very well known, which were available for. A number of months and there were other games that are quite large games that were available for free uh, but only for a day just just yeah. the one day so you had yeah. a very small window which granted it was free but you had to be pretty quick on the trigger in order to grab those yeah. um and yeah so they've decided to, to to turn that one off and i mean it's it's fairly obvious isn't it i mean it's been turned off because it's not bringing um new origin customers onto the platform and therefore it's not increasing the revenue and if it's not increasing the revenue what's the point in funding it because you need to pay for the service in order for it to be there yeah um so it's yeah okay it's dead it's not a huge loss to the gaming industry let's be brutally honest um no but it's it's a shame you know anything that takes away free games is a shame because we all like free games yeah i mean it was uh, one of the few goodwill programs that ea had rolling and you certainly or everybody knows that ea needs some goodwill so (laughs) (laughs) we've certainly seen a fair few people are likening it likening this to essentially ea cutting out its own heart (laughs) yeah basically so the soul is gone no more (laughs) no more free stuff pay me no more free stuff pay me pay me Yeah, so, yeah, that's not a thing anymore. As we said, it's not, not the big, biggest thing, but it's still something that I think is worth, worth a mention mm, before absolutely. we go uh, forward. Let's see. So I think we can start with the um, uh, blog post update from Casey Hudson, and then we move over to the more meaty interview with James Olam. O- Olin. Olin, not Olam. Uh, so I'm not going to read the entire things or thing. That's why I'm adding syllables that are not supposed to be there. Uh, the first thing that he mentions is that Anthem, 
won over 30 awards at E3 or during E3, uh, including Best Action Game and Best PC Game. These awards are a little bit obscure since how do you give awards to a game that isn't actually out yet? But I guess it's sort of the best of show or best at show or whatever you want to call it. So these rewards are basically what kind of games do we have on the show floor, uh, which is the best of those. So that is something that gives us a good indication uh, that there, that it's uh, actually getting the best action game probably speaks towards the game uh, being a little bit more action-oriented as we've spoken about before than uh, RPG-oriented like many other Bioware titles have been in the mm-hmm. past. And yeah, well, a lot of people have said that the action was great and awesome and really cool. I've read many... Uh, like opinion pieces, I guess you could call it, of people actually being on the floor and getting hands on with Anthem. And base it's overall praise that it's a great game, but they didn't get any story, which is something that I'm really curious about. Story almost always trumps gameplay mechanics for me. I really like getting into a deep and rich universe and uh yeah i like to think that they're holding off on that for the full release yeah spoilers yeah yeah that's what i'm going with anyway yeah i'm I'm... likewise it's an incredibly important aspect of the game and to think that the game's going to come out with very little story sort of like call of duty levels of story is is something that i don't really want to entertain too much no Uh, agreed so, uh, let's see, I guess we can continue. I'm just going to fix the video frame there for anyone that saw that it wasn't really looking as it, it should have. And um, um, he goes on with, uh, Anthem's executive producer Mark Dara has been doing a tireless job answering questions on Twitter, so I won't attempt to expand on that here. So he he's basically only answering one question here, uh, one of the most frequently asked, which uh, weren't explored fully in the demo, and it had to do with story and character. Specifically, how can there be agency of your story in a living world that you share with friends? Which is a a good question, because that's been uh, a big focus of Bioware titles in the past. And this is his answer. It's a great question, and in my opinion, our solution to this uh, design challenge is one of the most innovative things about Anthem. We talked briefly at EA Play about how the solution is called Our World, My Story. In the dynamic open world, everything is experienced in real time by all Anthem players. Day-night, weather, and world-scale events that shape the ongoing narrative of the setting. This is Our World which we share as a player community. Then you uh, return to Fort Tarsus, uh, and that's actually a single-player experience, and it's where you spend time developing relationships, making choices, and seeing consequences. That's the my story part. So, yeah. I I think It's a concept that a lot of people have been trying over the years. Um, 
and not many of them with a huge amount of success, largely due to technology limitations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the idea of having this, you know, massive world that everyone is a part of, but everyone's having their own unique experience is a challenge. Yeah. It's, it's certainly an Agreed. admirable goal. Um, I just hope they can make that concept work. If it works, uh, I, I'm like, I'm not even sure if it works on paper. Yeah, you're going to have this little single player hub. And then you're going to do all the missions with your pals uh, out in whatever. And from what I've heard, I think there's some slight difference in dialogue when you're out. Like the world will probably look almost the same for everyone, but there's going to be some slight dialogue changes in what you hear. The context is probably going to be the same, but yeah, Mm. the, the NPC might say it in a slight different tone or whatever. So, uh, yeah, it, as I say, I haven't seen anyone successfully do this before, so it'll be very interesting to see how they finally manage to do it in the in the uh, full release of the game. Yeah, it's exciting. It certainly is exciting. Um, yeah, agreed. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's dive head and into it and let's see if they can actually do it. You know, we, they've said they've that's what they're aiming for. Yeah, that's the target. Yeah. If you go Bioware. Yeah. Agreed. Um, like, but if you think about it, when it comes to, like, Mass Effect, for example, like, there's not really... The world itself wasn't... Or it changed uh, in on very spare, sparse occasions. The things that changed were basically the NPCs in those areas. Um, so, when you think about it in... in that way i mean this is not that different actually but uh, yeah if that's the line they choose to go down then no when you think about it in, in that way i mean this is not that different actually but uh, yeah if that's the line they choose to go down then no when you think about it in, in that way i mean this is not that different actually but uh, yeah. If that's the line they choose to go down, then no. When you think of this is something that is quite interesting as well. Uh, oh yeah, the, the, I was thinking about James Olin when it comes to Star Wars Old Republic. Uh, he's pre- or Casey here are is addressing that they're working on some amazing things for Star Wars: The Old Republic. So if you're still into that game, I sort of fell out of it pretty quickly. I already have World of Warcraft, and I didn't want to play another one. <laughs> so, as has been said by every other MMORPG player in the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's also addressing that they're they hearing loud, loud and cre- clear the interest in uh, Dragon Age and more uh, Mass Effect. Uh, and he says, "So rest rest assured that we have some teams hidden away." working on some secret stuff that I think you'll really like. We're just not ready to talk about any of it for a little while. I'm just hoping that it's not like a teen... My... When I hear this stuff, like, we're working on a secret project, my fears are always like, we're working on a really cool 
mobile version of the game or mobile title. I, I don't want mobile. I know it's a huge market, but n- mobile gaming is never going to be as cool as con- console and PC gaming. It's never going to be. That's just my... I, I always get a little weary when I hear it. When we know. were growing up and we were learning how to game properly, you couldn't because there wasn't a mobile platform for doing anything really yeah but now there is and it's got its own unique genre and we've seen you know but the new command and conquer title i hesitate to call it a title it's more of an abhorrent mess but yeah the the new command and conquer release which is entirely mobile designed and 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 put forward in that way it's been designed purely because that's the that's the growing market you know that's where the 12 year olds are going yeah. Once they finish swearing at each other on Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, so well, let's see if there was something else. Um, yeah, he's basically just saying that he's really proud of the team, and he like was just want to thank thank everyone for supporting us and or supporting them, and uh, they're gonna show some stuff on PAX in Seattle. Later this month, I'm not entirely sure if they're going to show us anything new. Uh, but yeah, they're going to have. It just says late, later this month. I don't have the exact date. Someone in chat, tell us when Seattle PAX is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, that was the blog post from Casey Hudson. And now we shall move over to the Game Informer interview with James Olin. Mm. This is quite an interesting article. This one, yeah, um, it really is. It the 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 way it reads. I mean, James, like all the other Bioware devs who who have given art uh, interviews after they've uh, left the company in recent months, has very much towed the line. He's you know he's not slagged off the company. He's not slagged off the publisher. He's you know not called his boss a twat or anything <laughs> like that. You know, and the way that it reads, it reads very much that he's a chap who is now looking to work doing what he would like to do, yeah. what he enjoys and what he finds entertaining um, and what he's passionate about rather than having a job for the sake of, you know, needing to pay the bills, which is a very privileged situation to be in. And I kind of wish I was there myself, but you never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Basically, we, we're going to try to uh, do this step by step here. But yeah, that's that's basically the, the gist of it. And we, can, I think, we can take some uh, th- stuff from this and what's been said from other Bioware veterans that have left the studio. It seems like uh, they all all want to work on other stuff, a little smaller stuff uh, uh, than what they're currently doing. So. Uh, mm. Uh, let's just read this out, shall we? Uh, the question goes as follows. I know these decisions don't come easily for people, especially when you have tenure that uh, you have there. So how long have you been wrestling with this decision to step away from Bioware? And, and what ultimately compelled you to pull the trigger? Uh, so what he says here is that he had the chance to do some creative stuff again. And um, that was basically what sparked his like love for games again uh, he he's been working s- sort of strictly with yeah having sort of a management role and not really doing many or much on the creative side 
And he also says uh, this, uh, which I think is uh, um, a sentence to remember. Uh, working with 50 or 100 people is a lot different than working with uh, 500 or 1,000 people. And this is something that I think is good to remember when we're th- talking about Bioware. Because the good old titles that a lot of people of us, or a lot of us, really liked, the earlier, like the first Mass Effect and the Baldur's Gate series and the Star Wars stuff that they've done, uh, that has been done with a smaller team. And I feel like that sort of tra- translates into the game. It feels a little bit more personal. It feels like the, the people had, who have d- done this game have had a little closer of a relationship. I feel like there's there's something there that, that you can say that that's the case. And uh, that's what we're going to have to see with Anthem, uh, since, like he's saying, um, that it's different to work with 500 or 1,000 people. So uh, the team on working on Anthem is probably pretty huge. And yeah, I'm just worried if the personal touch... The personal Bioware touch is going to be there or not uh, with that large of a team. But I really hope that the the current management can pull that off. I think it's a really hard task. Hmm. And I also think that is something that is a detriment to uh, game studios or game developers growing really large. I think it's, it should be hard to um, like keep that personal touch when so many people need to be on the same page. Yeah, it's down to the running of the business, ultimately, at the at the end of the day, is the people yeah. who are at the top are responsible for um, embodying and taking on that company message, that company ethos, and then translating that down the tiers into the, into the workforce, uh, essentially, yeah. and, and having them believe in the vision that is the company. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, naturally, you know, a company that's grown 10 times the size is, is going to be markedly different. And as you say, you can tell that from the games that they produced, some of the older games, Baldur's Gate and the original Mass Effect, things like that, were they almost had the feel of, I'm not going to say an indie studio, but they had that, that sort of more personal touch, as you mentioned. Um, and as, as success comes, the money comes in, the publishers come in, the expectations go up and as the expectations go up what you need to deliver increases and that means you need more people and when you have a larger company with more people you need more processes you need more control you need more oversight and yeah naturally it, it's the growth of the company um i'll let you go on to the next bit because i've got another bit to say about the bioware ethos but i'll leave that until later on yeah i just think like um I understand the company environment that you want to grow large and do cool stuff, but maybe uh, sometimes you should just put a cap on it, not try to grow too large. I don't know. That's up to the people at the top, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. For for those who just want to stick with that small-time vision, go for it, absolutely. But for those that want to really succeed and want to make the big bucks, you've got to embrace the larger ethos in order to do it unless of course you're going to you know create battlegrounds at which point doesn't matter you can make all the money you need yeah yeah tire off the income yeah basically (laughs) so uh this question was uh one of the more interesting in light of what we do here with you taking more of a hands-on creative role with anthem why leave in the middle of development was your role winding down as the game was ramping toward release and this is his answer 
I had stepped in to help out on parts of Anthem, but my role was not a huge one. I was working as a narrative director for a period of time, about six months, uh, but then I handed most of to uh, of the leadership to Kathleen Rootsert, uh, who is the lead writer on Anthem. Uh, I was just really, I wasn't really in the place where I was like, do I want to go back to doing administrative director of design types of things? And he wasn't. Uh, he was uh, in a place where he wanted to go back into doing creative stuff, as I said before. And uh, this seems like like this is basically what most of the people have said. Uh, the There was one of the uh, biggest names when it came to writing. Now I lost his name, but he left a little while ago and said basically the same thing. He wanted to work on his own projects again. Um, and yeah, I feel like these guys started out in a place where Bioware was a small, uh, like really close thing. And now it's a big, huge company with a lot, a lot of people. And I feel like I I would probably be the same. I would probably miss those golden days uh, where you had that small, passionate team working on a project together and not had to manage like a thousand people. Uh, let's see here. He had another statement that I thought was pretty good. Uh, let's see if we can find that one. Uh, he talks about he wants him to stay in Austin. Which, yeah, whatever. I don't, I'm not entirely sure. He says that there's a huge, uh, lively nerd community in Austin. I haven't really gotten yeah, a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Um... Um, if I could just sort of yeah, play a little bit devil's advocate, the sort of the relatively high staff turnover at Bioware, which almost everybody is putting down to the growth in the company size um, and the, the, the changing in sort of how the company works as a result of that. You could say that I'm not entirely sure that I fully buy that. Yes, Bioware was a much smaller operation. Um, yeah. sort of you know 10 12 years ago and now it's huge but it's been a very large company for a very significant period of time now you know True. even when you know mass effect 2 was released back in where someone's going to slate me for this if i get it wrong but i want to say 2009 <laughs> mass effect 2 or mass effect 1 uh 2 i can i can look that up for you um and, you know, even by that point, EA come on board. They put a heavy amount of investment into Bioware. And they put a heavy amount of... 2010. Damn it. <laughs> so close. <laughs> um, they put a heavy amount of investment into Bioware. They increased the resourcing um, to try and deliver Mass Effect 2 as a much larger game and a much more complete project than, than Mass Effect 1 was. Um, and, and so, you know, this that was eight years ago Yeah. now. Mass Effect 2. So Bioware has been a large company for a long period of time. Yeah. And for a load of oh, people to suddenly say, ah, no, the company's, I want to get back to being a small company. It just sort of feels like you could have made that decision a few years ago. You know, nothing is, there hasn't been a huge drastic change in the size of Bioware over the last sort of two years. 
it's been wow. it's been large for a long period of time. And if you didn't like the large company ethos and yeah. the way the large company works, you would have known that. Yeah. Now, maybe you know you want to flip it the other way. It may well be that the actual employees themselves needed the time to actually realise that this wasn't what they wanted, and they wanted to get back to how they used to work. Um, yeah. And yeah, absolutely fair dues, but it's. Yeah, there's just a, a slight niggling doubt that I have in the back of my mind, which is, you know, this isn't a new thing. No. Well, yeah, there are, like, I would probably, like, when we t- we're talking about Mass Effect Andromeda, for example, we know that there was a lot of things going on uh, at, like, yeah, this wasn't the bio- main Bioware uh, headquarters um, that developed by uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, but we know that it was troubled times for them during that development. A lot of change, stuff changed, a lot of people quit, they had to re- get in new people, and that was why they basically had to re-wet or redo the entire product, project two years before its actual release date. And two years for such a big, big title is never going to really work, and that's probably why the game felt as rushed as it actually did. And like that climate change, troubled times like that for the last five or six years, probably I would say is something that is more off-putting for the long-standing or the veterans of the company. I would probably be say like, yeah, the climate has changed a little. I don't really feel like it's the same thing anymore and I want to try to get back to that thing which it was before. Like, I I don't really want to dabble in this anymore. It's but I'm not really getting the feeling that I want from this company anymore uh, and that's why I'm leaving. I I would say that that's probably more reasonable than everybody just leaving for other projects. Uh, That's possible. Yeah, that, that that is entirely possible. In you know, it's again, if you're basically you've been told if you're going to do a press conference after you leave, don't slag the company off because otherwise yeah. we'll rip you to shreds, sort of thing. Um, then you don't necessarily want to say that there are a whole load of director level decisions that were made that have made everyone feel disenfranchised and disillusioned, and we all yeah. wanted to leave as a result of it. So they could be it could be a cover um, for saying that. But you know, even though that was still 2016. Uh, when those yeah. decisions were being made, when yeah, you know, that's true. So you know, even then, I mean, James yeah. Olin, he says in this interview that he handed in his notice in March or April, and he actually left at the start of June. He's just been waiting until E3 and everything has all died down, and there's been enough time that he can say this without it being attributed and yeah. causing any negative reaction on that front. Yeah. Uh, so with, without us actually speculating too much, I mean, we, we, we really don't know the actual facts, but we re- only know what these developers have said. And uh, the question here was from Game Informer, given, the culture, given that the culture over at Bioware is intact and the studio is uh, still working on these big, amazing projects, to what do you tr- uh, attribute the talent bleed at Bioware? It certainly has been a steady stream of veteran developers leaving for a while now. 
And his answer goes as follows. When you have been for a stu- at a studio for a long time, sometimes you just want to strike out on your own and do your own thing. The fact is, with bigger and be- bigger games, people are working with larger and larger teams. Working on star- the development of Star Wars Old Republic, I was the game director, which meant I had the most power, but I often felt like I was the captain of the Titanic, and I could just steer a teeny bit uh, if I put all my efforts into it. And I, th- I I like this this picture he's painting of steering the Titanic and the probably the frustration of uh, suddenly uh, managing such a large team that you really don't feel like you have <laughs> enough control over it anymore. Uh, just an, it's uh, a beautiful an, analogy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people who have been leaving were there for 10, 15 or even more years. And sometimes you just need a change. Uh, other times people want to get more, get back to their uh, getting their hands dirty with creative stuff. And it's really difficult to do that when you're on a big team of thousand people and you're supposed to be delivering hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. There's a lot of responsibility there that kind of gets in the way of your ability to get into the creative process. For me personally, uh, it's working on a book. It's really a break from being in the industry and uh, that I'm going to take for, for I don't know how long, maybe a year, maybe less, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Um, um, I do want to feel a little more like back in the Ballard Gate days when the team was 40 people in size instead of what it is now. And when the expectations were, uh, I remember the expectations for Battle. Battlescape 1 was maybe that we sold half as much as Fallout 1. We maybe sell 100,000 copies and get to do more games. So it was a lot different. And this is just what we've been discussing uh, on back and forth. Like he Absolutely. He d- just doesn't feel comfortable being at Bioware anymore because it's it's too big. He it's not really his cup of tea. Uh, yeah. He you know, he wants to get back to doing what he originally started out doing, which is working in games for the for the love of actually building games, for creating things, for watching something grow, yeah, and having an, a proper impact on that as well. As he, as he mentioned, being a captain and steering a ship, as you know, rather piloting a small dinghy. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's obviously going to be a lot different. And if that's mm. not your thing, it's not your thing. So yeah, I mean, all the most of these guys just start out as gamers that wanted to co- create a cool experiences, and n- not all of them, I would guess, uh, wanted to be big directors or managers of insanely huge teams. So mm. uh, some people like doing that, some people don't. It's difficult to have have that as something you can really sort of teach. You you sort of you've got it or you haven't. Yeah. Um, there is another one where they talk about Anthem. Uh, the question goes as follows. Anthem shooting felt really good. I was really encouraged by that. But coming out of E3, there's a lot of this, uh, there's this sense among a lot of, amongst a particular segment of the Bioware community that this game isn't for them. They want more classic Bioware games with branching conversations, romance, etc. Did you all make the choice to move away from that consciously or is that just how the project evolved over time uh, and his answer is i think one of the things that bioware has been really good at is uh, at 
sorry about this. I think one of the things about Bioware has been really good at its really weird sentence, uh, which has allowed it to survive for more than two decades, is taking risks. Oh, that makes more sense. Is taking risks and making new and different things. Anthem has been doing things differently than the traditional model than anything you've seen from Dragon Age or Mass Effect back to the Baldur's Gate part of uh, being systems-based. Anthem's different from that, then again, Neverwinter Nights was quite different when it came out in 2002, and obviously Star Wars The Old Republic was quite different when it came out in 2011. So he's basically just stating like, yeah, Bioware has always been evolving slowly and tried new things, and this is just another step in what they want to do with the company. And yeah, I guess that makes sense. Absolutely. And to be honest, the more I hear this question, because you hear it a lot being bandied around. Yeah. Um, and the more I hear it, the more it annoys me. And his answer is actually very good because I always liken this to a music band. So yeah. a music band will quite regularly, they will release a new album. If that album has a different tone, a different setting, a slightly different genre to how their previous albums have worked, a lot of the fan base will rebel quite heavily against it. And there will be a lot of negative reaction because it's not what people are expecting. Yeah. But that's that that's the life cycle of, of the band. And the games in a games company like Bioware is no different. The yeah. technology is evolving and they evolve and what they make evolves and it's it's natural. Yeah, yeah it's natural to change. And I know people are in inherently they're sort of suspicious of change because there are unknowns. Um but yeah, but that, this that's is how that, a company evolves, and this is just what it needs to do. So don't slate it for doing what it has to. Yeah, and also one thing, uh, like me personally, being a creative person, I like trying out new things. I generally don't want to stick with the same kind of format and the same kind of stuff forever, uh, because then I get bored. And I think that's like most creative people, just to to get new challenges and try new things. That is what pushes you forward. So. Uh, making something slightly different from what you've done before uh, just makes sense in order to get a fresh perspective and try new things and get into the moves and trying to make new cool things. If you try to make the same concept over and over, it's obviously going to degrade in quality over time because it's hard to stay inspired to make that uh, the same level of quality that that the first two, three games had. Uh, I mean, I think that's just the, the part of the creative process really absolutely yeah, yeah totally agree really do yeah so it's absolutely fine that bioware are taking a different tack yeah but uh, but then again i'm for one i'm a big fan of i know you are as well for max effects for example i'm also a big fan of dragon age and i love those old systems i want to want the thousand games with those systems and that quality of story but uh yeah, I'm probably not going to get that because that isn't too realistic. <laughs> That's just the way of things. So. It's a good old saying, you can have too much of a good thing. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, I kind of like this uh, question as well. Uh, controversially, do you have... No, not controversially. Conversely, do you have any regrets? Anything you wish you were able to push through while you were there? at Bioware. So his answer is this. With Star Wars The Old Republic, I wish that I pushed a little bit more towards making it Star Wars or Knights of the Old Republic online 
rather than Star Wars World of Warcraft. <laughs> a lot of the feedback that we, we got when Star Wars The Old Republic uh, launched was, or when it came out was, hey, we wanted Knights of the Old Republic Online, something that was more similar to that game that was more traditional in the work, World of Warcraft sense. I can see where that was coming from, but I'm still proud of where Star Wars The Old Republic got to. But uh, yeah, I mean, if they went for um, Knights of the Old Republic online, I think that would have been more popular. Uh, really. Um, I, like, yeah, it was the, it was sort of the end of the wave, like, we need to make a Warcraft clone, because that's, that was, or everybody tried to make it because World of Warcraft was so successful, and I guess the Old Republic was sort of at the end of that wave. And I guess it made sense in some way, but it felt, when I played the game, it just didn't feel too, it didn't feel that original. It felt like, yeah, as I said before, if I want to play this game, I can play World of Warcraft, because I'm more invested in that. <laughs> Weirdly enough, like, yeah, you... If you're a Star Wars fan, you're pretty, probably pretty invested in that story. But I'm personally more invested in the World of Warcraft story. Uh, and for me, it just makes more sense. If I have two games that are basically the same thing, I'm going to play the thing that I'm more invested in. So, mm. and yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It was. Um, you may want to say it was a strategic error in the design of the game. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was an error that so many people made at, to their cost. Yeah. yeah, the number of Mamorca games that came out and just flopped heavily because they weren't what everyone liked. Yeah, everyone liked Warcraft because Warcraft was very good at what it did. Yeah. So when other people tried to do the same thing and it wasn't what they, it wasn't as good as Blizzard's offering, everyone went, "We're going to play the better game if you don't mind because it's better." Um, and yeah, so within a few months, every game went free to play and then slowly died. Yeah. Um, so uh, ending this off, I think it's a little bit interesting. Mm. Just something that we can talk a little bit more on uh, before we get to the uh, last segment of the show. Uh, they're getting to a little bit more of a personal. Um, I, I guess it is all personal since it's an in- interview, but uh, more of uh, what he does outside the business uh, side of things. So the question is: Now that you presumably got a little bit more free time on your hands than you did when you were in the trenches as Bioware, do you have a backlog of games you were planning to dive into? Um, and he says that he caught up on Zelda for the Switch, and he really, really liked that. He's looking forward to Red Dead Redemption Two. Uh, he's uh, looking forward to CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk t- uh, twenty seventy seven. Uh, so he seems like, yeah, he's, he's all for the RPGs, man. And I, I guess that's not too, too Fair enough. weird. Yeah. He, he talks a lot in the interview about how much he enjoys, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. They, I, I sort of jumped that part. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they talk, uh, they talk a lot about Dungeons and Dragons, but I feel like that is also a stepping stone for most of these developers at least that with companies that started in the 90s and whatnot uh, making mm-hmm. games um it feels like most of them started pl- out playing D with friends and they were like oh yeah this is really cool we we need to start we need to do something uh, on our own uh, 
something yeah. uh, uh, or that that is our own little beast and uh yeah and then you ended up with boulders gate yeah and which was hey, very good it was too if i remember correctly yeah i played boulders gate 2 uh, straight through with a friend and that was that was a great time great great time mm. so really enjoy that um uh let's see here i lost my thread uh it was basically on the backlog there we go and um do you keep up with the rpgs in recent years and if so which one have impressed you the most so again Zelda was incredible skyrim another amazing game uh, Witcher 3, uh, Love the Pillars of Eternity, uh, and uh, let's see, yeah, he's giving some credit to Obsidian as well. I really need to check out Pillars of Eternity, uh, it's just that I checked out uh, Divinity 2, uh, Divinity, the original Sin 2, and that is also a, uh, do you call it an isometric, that's, yeah, the top-down view RPG sort of stuff yes. with the yeah, they're isometric view. Pseudo 3D. Style yeah. View. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I thought personally that I was over those kinds of games, but uh, <laughs> I clearly wasn't. No they're such luck, sir. They're still really fun, which uh, sort of what makes me want a new Fallout in that, uh, in that. I don't know. Did you play the first two Fallout games, Fallout One and Two? No, I didn't. You have missed out, man. Everlasting shame, I didn't. You have missed out, man. Uh, those are some of the the greatest uh, memories I have from gaming. Uh, great, great games, and I love Fallout Three and New Vegas as well. Uh, Fallout Four didn't really speak to me that much, but I would now that I played Divinity Originals Two, I was like, uh, yeah, a new Fallout game in that in that vein. Heck yeah! I want that. that. (laughs) Well, you talk about isometric games. Theme Hospital. We're going to go back to it. (laughs) I know Chromatism mentioned it in the comment that he thought Dungeon Keeper was better, and no it isn't. Theme Hospital beats Dungeon Keeper. Sorry, just does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Josh says in the chat that he was installing Fallout 1 yesterday. I've done that. I just just have a hard time uh, going back to those old games. I would like some sort of remake of that, though. Uh, just to bring the technology up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that could make sense. But Bioware hasn't... Re- have, have they remade or remastered any of their titles so far? They really no, haven't, have they? The amount of time I have spent wishing upon wishing that someone will redo Mass Effect 1 with the Mass Effect 3 graphics and HUDs yeah yeah that's that's also one uh like that, that would just make i would just like die in a pool of happiness yeah i mean most of their games like Baldur's gate one and two uh knights of the old republic the first two mass effect games like maybe dragon age origins as well um and mm-hmm. fallout as we're talking about those so i want those re- remastered and redone there's a lot of things to companies like if they have if have they have a dry spot and whatever, like okay, let's just push out the remaster or remake or whatever, and uh, I think that 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 could be brilliant. But um, I don't know. Uh, and of course, don't forget Spyro. 
yeah. is actually being remastered. It's coming. Yeah. And when it does, I'm going to be all over that like a bad rash. Yeah. Uh, but back on the PlayStation 1 days, they're basically the only games I played with friends on the PlayStation 1 was Tekken 3. So really? I, I was never really a PlayStation 1 guy. Uh, we more yeah. we were more uh, N64 uh, aware. Uh, so. Bad boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you of... were, playing your Resident Evil 4 and your Mario Kart 64. Exactly. GoldenEye. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of James Bond, a lot of Mario, a lot of uh, Zelda, a lot of Zelda, a lot of Smash. Oh, yes. That that was what uh, we were spending our time in. But the well, place... The my time playing time crisis yeah time crisis would great as well um playstation 2 though was when we got into the playstation side of things uh, mainly with uh, final fantasy 10 when it was released back in the really weird game when you look back at it but we had a ton of fun with it <laughs> sunk so many hours into that uh, all right. I don't think there's too much else we can take from the uh, Game Informer interview with uh, James Olan. It's something that if you go to Game Informer, uh, Game Informer, uh, Game Informer, uh, James Informer. That's your new. Uh, uh, that's the James. And the James Informer. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's going to be in your your news uh, news gaming news website, but maybe it's just your Transformers uh, <laughs> uh, alter ego. James in Boma. Um, nice. so, yeah, if you want to continue reading this, it's a really nice uh, interview. It's uh, really personal and it goes on for... There's a lot of things that we hadn't talked about uh, when it comes to that. I just wanted to bring up the, the most relevant uh, key points uh, to talk about there. Uh, but yeah, that's actually going to be it for the first segment of the show. We've done one hour so far, and we got a little bit of time to go. And the last segment, we're going to give you suggestions of what you can enjoy yourself with or entertain yourself with until next week, or maybe more than that. Probably more than that, at least with my suggestions this week. So, <laughs> I'm going to give the honor to James to see if you have something. Um, I do... I have been uh, I have been very much enjoying the TV drama Versailles, uh, which is on mm-hmm. BBC, and they have just now finished the third season, um, and I believe seasons one and two are available uh, on DVD. I don't think season three is on DVD just yet, but it may well be because of. I believe it came out in America first and we had it later rights and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's a fantastic drama series. Um, it follows uh, Louis the Fourteenth, um, and the as the name would suggest, it's all around the Palace of Versailles, which Louis the Fourteenth uh, had constructed. Um, and Louis the Fourteenth is played by George Blagden, who is a fantastic actor. Um, really, really liking his work. Yeah. Um, and there is a there's a usual sort of modern day TV drama about it is politics and a lot of intrigue, twisting around all over the place. Um, and a lot of you know Renaissance French being very Renaissance and French, <laughs> um, which is very appealing for some. 
but the, the series has improved um, as they've gone on. They clearly they've got more funding with the success, so they've been able to build the bigger sets and yeah. bigger dramatizations. Um, so that's certainly been impressive. So I would very much recommend uh, Versailles to anyone who's looking to Versailles. find a new drama to Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I heard a lot of people talk good about the handmaid's tale a handmaid's tale as well uh the handmaid's tale i haven't yeah. got watched that yet that is yeah. on my list i my girlfriend watches that one but it's just so dark i don't really know if i'm in the mood to <laughs> like it's it's seriously it's sometimes like what are they doing how well, can it be I... this dark <laughs> especially if you have kids on your own and then you, you can really connect <laughs> uh, so yeah but fair it, enough yeah um, I'm, not, I'm not spoiling it. I'm going into it completely blind. Yeah, that's that's probably the best way to do do series overall. Um, mm. Absolutely, <laughs> go into it afresh with a open mind. Then yeah. you see how much it freaks the crap out of you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Got to say that really interesting. <laughs> um, ignoring Josh's comment comment in the chat there as well, uh, per his request. So, <laughs> so um, my suggestions this week, I'm going to do a sheet and do two, but they're on the same vein, basically. So one thing that has really been a trend the last, I would say, 10 or 15 years when it comes to anime and manga is having a protagonist that for some reason ends up in a world that is very similar to an MMO. Uh, but the, the, they, they can't get out of it, or they're locked inside of there, or their soul is transferred to a new body inside of this MMO world. And uh, yeah, a lot of things happen. So, uh, going on this, this trend, there's new stuff coming up, there's a lot of bad stuff coming up, but there's a lot of good stuff as well. Something that is universally pretty much loved and liked is Sword Art Online with the first season. I didn't really like season two, but that's not the one that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, I'm going to talk about Overlord, which I just like the, 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 the title of the... I'm watching the anime, Overlord. And it has a really nice spin. Um, I, I was talking that The Handmaid's Tale was too dark. For me... When it comes to stuff being dark, I really like like horror stuff when we're talking about uh, monsters or horror movies. When it comes to dramatization that is really dark, that's when I get a little bit spooked. So I, I can take horror, but <laughs> when it comes to dark, realistic things, that's where I'm... No, no, I'll... A little too close to the market. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> so, uh, Overlord is this, uh, it's this guy that has been playing this VR MMORPG. So, they're playing in a, a MMORPG in a virtual reality setting. And it's one of the most popular ones that are out there. Uh, and apparently, for some reason, it's been going on for years and years. And the servers are supposed to shut down. And all of his guildmates, they're they're one of the biggest guilds uh, in this game, and one of the, all of his guildmates are quitting and they're leaving, and he's to, he just wants to stay there until the servers go down, uh, uh, to sort of the, like the captain going down with the ship. But then after the servers go down, he wakes up again in this world as his character, and his character is this guy that I guess you could say is the overlord. 
It's a big skeleton guy with a big, uh, big shoulders and a big mate. He's a like a super mage. Uh, and Skeletor. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, and he's not. Re- he's not really a good guy. Uh, one of the first things he says in the one, episode one is that um, I wonder if we should um, take over this world or conquer this world. Maybe that could be fun. So he always has an agenda, uh, and all of the. Uh, characters that he's interacting with are NPCs that they had in this guild hall that were protecting all of their stuff. They're suddenly coming to life and get their own personality and whatnot. Um, and it's just a really interesting spin on the take of this uh, getting lo- locked in an um, MMO world uh, and you can't get out of it and you have to do the best of uh, what you have. So, yeah, uh, really enjoying that one. And also, on the same note, I'm listening to a book series called The Land, which is a fantasy series. I guess you could call it an epic fantasy series. Uh, in the same vein, actually. It's go- it starts out with... It was really weird in the beginning, uh, but I guess it makes more sense uh, later on. I was like, isn't this a fantasy book? But it sounded a little bit more sci-fi. Uh, so there was these alien creatures that talk about um, them watching the humans for very long and uh, looking at what they're interested at and uh, uh, what, what what kind of interest they have. And gaming is something that they uh, got stuck on. So they sort of release a virtual reality MMO. Um, it's sort of inspired by Ready Player One in that vein, a game like that, if, you, okay. if you've seen that movie or read the book, uh, a game like that, that you get really immersed in. And um, it's based upon a real existing world that is sort of like an MMO. So the, there is suddenly the game, just the characters in the game, they get, get uh, moved to this, the land, the real the land, and wake up there. Uh, but there's still a lot of game mechanics in this world so he has level experience he has different skills that he can level up and whatnot he has abilities and it's just it's really silly and the humor is great in the book they're not taking themselves seriously at all which was i was thinking that it was going to be an another epic fantasy journey which uh, i've read a lot of uh, recently uh, but it's really not, and they're not taking themselves too seriously. A lot of, if you're a gamer, you're going to appreciate this the Land series, uh, because, yeah, well, it's just, it's epic fantasy with a touch of gaming humor through all of it. And it's got excellent reviews on Audible. Like, I think it's got 4.8 out of 5 stars, and there's so many reviews, so uh, like a couple of thousand. Good. So yeah, and every book in the series, I think there's seven books out released so far, at least on Audible. And uh, yeah, each one of them has excellent review scores from at least uh, customer reviews. So yeah, really enjoying that one so far. So good. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Excellent. So those are the suggestions for this week. And with that... Uh, we're almost going to say goodbye. First off, I just want to say that uh, please interact with us on any social media stuff. Just Guns of Anthem uh, or send us an email 
uh, to guns feedback at gunsofanthem.com. As I said, the VOD will be available after the show. Mm, if you want to be old school and, and type a message into an email as opposed to typing a message into a chat box. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like it's like writing, but <laughs> you don't have to use a pen. Yeah. So you can like write with the keyboard. It's this amazing stuff. Yeah. It really is. It's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like the, the, the mail email feels a little bit redundant in the, this day and age, but I'm hoping yep. that there are people out there that still appreciate the power of the emails. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm the only one. Well, of course, nowadays at school you can get your uh, you get your exam results through email. Yeah, and on a website and That's through true. text, social media, all of the usual stuff. When I when I was a kid, we had to go in and get them on a piece of paper. Yeah, it was yeah incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, it was a lot different when. Sorry, we'll we stop were before we school. get too far into the nostalgia trip. Yeah, 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 basically. <laughs> so, yeah, that was going to be, or that is it for this week. If you just tuned in, then, as I said, the VOD will be available on YouTube straight after this. So, Guns of Anthem on YouTube, if you want to check that out. The audio version is going to be out on iTunes. It's going to be out on Stitcher. It's going to be out on basically everywhere where you find podcasts. Um, so yeah good goodbye see you next time people goodbye 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 Goodbye, Sarge goodbye